Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. It's Jody Katz, your host. This week's episode features Rachel Winard. She's the founder of Soap Walla. Um, please give her episode a listen. She thinks that soap can do way more than just clean our bodies. And last week's episode featured Kathy Singh. She's a freelance Emmy award-winning makeup artist. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am sitting with Rachel Winard, founder of Sopoala. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I do want to say that we tried to plan this for several months ago. Yes. And unfortunately, you're going through some health issues at the time, yes. but I'm so grateful that you're here now. Thank you. Me too. Believe me. <laughs> um, what would you like to share about um, what you went through recently? Sure. Um, so I ended up having semi-emergency open abdominal surgery to remove 17 what ended up being benign tumors. We didn't know at the time. Um, mostly uterine fibroids, but some that traveled and got excited and started moving around my abdominal cavity. So that was a whole thing that was very unexpected. Um, I had been having symptoms for about six months prior to the surgery, but they really ramped up. And from the time I found my surgeon until I went into surgery, it was only seven days. Wow. So what are like symptoms of that? Like what were you feeling? For me, it was like radically different periods. Uh So I went from being very consistent every 28 days, like I could set my clock by my internal clock, and no cramps, nothing, to being at home three days, like bowled over in pain, could not stand up. Um, And like a weird pressure in my belly. And then by by the time I was really being taken seriously by doctors, you could see growth on the outside of my abdomen. That's like you crazy. Could see the bulges. So they did an ultrasound, they saw all these things like all inside? Yes. Um, first I had a pelvic where the gynecologist said my uterus was tracking at seven weeks. And like pregnant? Pregnant. So the, the fibroids were, and tumors were so big, it made you seem pregnant? By the time that they removed my uterus, because I ended up having to need a uterine hysterectomy, it was at 16 weeks pregnant, and that was with most of the tumors on the outside. Oh my god. It was a big old mess. Holy cow. This must have been so scary. It was terrifying. Yeah. And I'm still, when you have something like this, I have systemic lupus erythematosus, or lupus for short, which is an autoimmune illness, um, which also plays a role in this. And there's so very little research done on women's reproductive issues that are um, benign but life-changing, like um, endometriosis, like fibroids. So there's not really a lot of knowledge on how these two play together. But something kicked my immune system into super high gear because I had zero symptoms six months ago, Mm. and I had 17 tumors by the time that they removed them. Wow, and do they have any idea what that shift would have been? It's it's unclear at this point. But I'm definitely I'm on a slightly more monitored track now. So there's a lot of testing in the future. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm so happy that you're sitting here with a smile. Thank you. You look comfortable. <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> I feel light. <laughs> I bet. Just like bowling balls were removed from me. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, um, I don't know how to transition to this, so I'll just <laughs> do it. How are you going to spend your time today? What's on your plate for today? Um, so this morning I boxed, which I do. I box or I practice yoga every single day. 
And I also went up to my roof garden and I gardened all my, I watered all my plants since it's like a million degrees in New York City today. Is it um, a vegetable garden or a flower garden? It's a flower garden. Mm -hmm. Since we have a roof deck in New York City, we have lots of little creatures. Oh, right. So we don't, um, I would love to have a vegetable garden, but that's not so great for <laughs> keeping, keeping little friends away from your roof. Um, so it's just a flower and, and plant garden herb garden. Mm -hmm. um, so I putzed around up there for a few minutes and then I got ready and I came here. And then after I do have, I'll, I'll do some work. I'm doing a presentation tomorrow. So I'm sort of preparing for that. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk about um, something that goes way back for you, which is being a concert violinist. Yes. Um, how did this get started for you? So I started playing violin when I was four and it was immediately love at first sight. It's hard to put into words, but I just, I still have such a, uh, a somatic recollection of like touching the violin for the first time. That's very young, right? Very young. Um, I mean, it's not so young. I was, I became professional and I went to Juilliard and it's, that's kind of the age that most of like my classmates started, either violin or piano or whatever it was, um, three, four, five, like that's pretty common. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is a very young age and I think because it, I was so young, it sort of shaped how I see the world still. Like I see the world through music. What does that mean to you? Um, let's see if I can describe this. You know, one of the best ways or more, most tangible ways is the way that I formulate since I'm the sole formulator for Sopola. When I am crafting a product, I think of it like a piece. So I need like a good solid baseline. I need sort of the melody to go through and then high notes to accentuate whatever it is I'm trying to um, focus on. So that's sort of like, whenever I'm walking down the street, there's like a soundtrack to whatever's happening. Everything is musically oriented. That's so amazing that you say that because I am so not musical. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't, I can't even taste what you're talking about, right? I can't <laughs> smell it. It's so foreign to me. Yep. Um, not only can I not play musical instruments, but like, I don't even really understand how to appreciate music. It's just like not, it's just not in me. I never learned it. Maybe yep. I can, um, but it's pretty cool. So you went like this, when you say professional, I mean, you were hired to play. Yes. You were. Yes. This is a big deal. How yeah. old was, were you when that was happening? I went pro when I was 12. <gasps> uh, and I still competed. So it's like, I mean, it's classical music is very different from pop music. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of overlaps, especially in the business side of things. But like, you know, you can still compete in international competitions and also play for money, which is what I did. So you were traveling around, playing for money. Yeah. And then how do you fit school into that? Well, I went to, so high school, I did homeschooling for a year, realized that was not for me. Um, went back to high school. It was just gone for about half the time. I was, mm -hmm. I was, I was very diligent about my scheduling from mm -hmm. a young age because I needed to practice six to eight hours a day. I was performing, I would say six times a week and I had school and schoolwork to deal with. And um, I wanted to grit. I'm a perfectionist. So everything I do needs to be done well. So I wanted that for my schoolwork as well as everything else. So I woke up at 4 a.m. every morning during high school so that I could practice for an hour and a half oh before God. I went to school. <laughs> this is crazy dedication. <laughs> it's, I think it's pretty common across the board. Like if you listen to Olympic gymnasts it's, or swimmers, it's the same thing. If you're really dedicated to a craft, you... You rearrange your life so that you can get it done. Right. So it, um, is the word obsession right? Like, were you obsessed with it? 
I don't think obsession is right. I think obsession can have a negative oh, connotation, uh-huh. for me anyway. Right. I'd say I was highly focused. Right. And it, it fed me. I think sometimes obsessions can... Um, Deplete. Deplete yeah, you. Right, right. But music fed you. That's so interesting. But you have to have like total support in your household to yes. be able to live this way. Oh, yeah. My parents are amazing people. Um, I love them to death. And I feel incredibly lucky because they have supported me in everything I've ever done or said or wanted to be from day one. That's They're amazing. Still that way. So I'm still think, sitting here thinking about every day you're a teenager waking up at 4 a.m., playing your music, doing your mm-hmm. schoolwork, going to school, probably having a job that night, yep. playing, and then it's go to bed and start it all over. And if I was performing in the city, so uh, we moved to Seattle when I was, I think, 13 and a half or something um, for a violin teacher. Uh, if I was performing in Seattle, well, one of my parents was at that performance. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I ever performed locally without one of them being there. Was that important to you that they were there? Not at the time, but yeah. afterwards, I'm just like, how did you, like, it's amazing. It's really amazing, the dedication that they had. Yeah, you know, um, I, I asked that out of curiosity because in my head I'm wondering, do I need to be at all of my kids' sporting things? Yeah. Like, can't they just go to a game and one of us not be there? I'm, I'm, is it really that important? I think it probably depends on the kid and their relationship to the thing mm-hmm. that they're doing mm-hmm. and if someone's there to support them. Right, right. I, you know, I, it's hard for me to remember because it's a long time ago since I was a teenager, but I don't know if I, I mean, I think I saw my mom there, but it wasn't like fe- feeling it. And maybe because sports for me, they were just something fun to do and it wasn't like a super passion, right? It was just like yes. an activity. Exactly. Um, but yeah, maybe if I was like had so much pride in every goal and so much pride in every moment on the field, I would feel differently. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for shedding some light on that for me. Oh, my pleasure. So, um, you know, I, my next question you already answered. It was, is there a theme that ties making product and making music together? And you, yes. you expressed it so beautifully. Um, so now I'd love to shift gears and talk about another, another topic. Um, when we first spoke, you told me, and this is in quotes, that no one looks like me in this business, in yes. the beauty industry. What, what does that mean to you? I look, well, I like to joke that I look like a 12-year-old boy, which I don't mean in a negative way. Like, I, I like the way I look, but <laughs> that's not the typical, like, face of a skincare company. <laughs> Usually you have very long, flowing hair, very light skin. Um, you look very straight, or um, you either look like a man in a suit, or you don't look like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wearing, like, a tank top with my tattoo showing today. I have no makeup on. I have a very short cut. Oftentimes I have like a design shaved in the back of my head, like not the usual. I love what's happening with the front. <laughs> like that's very cool. This is called humidity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything to my hair. The mm-hmm. only thing I do is after I apply deodorant, I there's a little bit of uh, residue on my right. fingers and I just run it through right. my, my hair and that makes that helps tame like a Jufro situation. Right. That otherwise <laughs> happen. <laughs> so um, when, when did Soapwalla start? When did that start for you? I founded the company in December 2009, but I started making products in 2002. So 2002 um, was, is a long time ago. It's like a million years ago in it's this business. It's really a long time ago. <laughs> um, I would think that um, things have changed a little bit in the dynamic of like who's creating beauty brands, who is innovating in this industry when yes. it comes to the statement of no one looks like me. Have you seen that shift? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. I would say in the last two, two years mm-hmm. specifically, I've really seen a shift in the conversation 
more of inclusiveness in every possible way, mm -hmm. um, which is great. I just want us to continue that. I don't want us to be like, yay, we solved this problem, we're right. done. Because yes. there's a lot of work to be done. Yes, I mean, um, my own awareness like keeps, like I'm having little light bulb moments all the time. I was talking with um, someone who's a content producer at BuzzFeed and I was telling her how excited I am to finally start to rent the runway because it's just sort of a game changer for me. Like, I don't really have to think about it. I don't have to buy anything. I don't have to go to a store. Yep. And she's like, yeah, I love it, but they don't make enough products and plus size, so it's not for me. Yep. And I'm like, holy yes. Like, yep. this is such a missed opportunity. And she, you know, went on to say, well, a lot of the brands don't even make things in my size. It's mm -hmm. not that rent the runway refuses to carry them. It's just that... They're, they don't exist. I have the same issue. There's nothing there that suits my right um, presentation. Right, right. The style that you want is not is not there. Yes. Um, so you know this idea of inclusivity is just like I feel like little light bulbs going off all the time, and I feel like I'm a well informed person. So yep. if these light bulbs are going off just now for me, you can just imagine how mo most people they, they're not even close to screwing on a light bulb. Right. It's so yeah. far away. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the easiest ways to do that is just listen to someone else who has a completely different experience from yours. Like, without judgment, just let them tell you how they see the world because right. it's very different from you. And it's such an easy way to get a new perspective. Right. I mean, that's what companies need to do as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping that this pod is starting to do that um, because we talk to people who are... I mean, a lot of them are founders, but many of them also aren't. And I feel like we only hear from, like, the celebrity face of a brand. Even if it's not yes. celebrity, it's, like, you know, the notable person. Um, and the people on stage at industry events are the ones who sold their company for a million billion dollars. Yes. We don't hear from everybody, and that's been so important to me. Like, behind the scenes is so important, just as important. Um, Very much so. It's every age. more important. Yeah, and every age and background and, like, how you found this industry. Like, no one found it with, like, laser-sharp focus, you know? <laughs> like, most people just find it by yes. accident. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about this other term that you told me, invisibility bias. Yes. Um, what does that mean? So it's when you aren't even – it's not that you – trying to think of how best to craft it. You're not even there. Like, you're not even part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So – it feels when you're in that position that you're not even worth the breath that it takes to either put you down mm -hmm. or build you up. Mm -hmm. You're just not even there. It's a very particular kind of bias. How do you feel that in our business? I don't see lesbians represented. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I see more of an inclusiveness in a lot of other ways. I still see it skewed very heavily towards straight female presentation, no matter what their identity is. Mm -hmm. um, the presentation looks very straight, mm -hmm. historically straight, and or straight male or gay male. Right, so um, if I were to coach some of the clients that I have in terms of like how to avoid this invisibility bias, how, how would I show somebody who's not straight in communications, for example? Hire some queer women. <laughs> That's one of the easiest ways. And then show them on the front. Like, mm -hmm. there are as many people as there are, there are gender presentations. Right. Um, I believe strongly that gender is fluid. And I think there are ways to appropriately capture that so that we see that. It's very empowering to see yourself mm -hmm. in some way on a screen or a big billboard, like on a Soho building, or even just when you're flipping through a magazine. Right. And I think just having those people in the room to tell you how they would like to be represented is the first step. 
great point to actually have conversations, not make assumptions. Yes. Right? Um, I mean, that's not rocket science, right? <laughs> right? Like, we can all do this. Yes. It's just about making time, making it a priority. Yes. So what, what it, like, walking through our business since about 2002, or even if we go back to 2009, walking through our business, building relationship, making connections, um, networking, getting investors, whatever it is that you've had to do to grow the business, like, how has this invisibility bias or this feeling of no one looks like me impacted the way that you move through the growth? Um, I think in, it's a blessing in a lot of ways. So I don't have a business degree, which I also think is a blessing. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, my invisibil invisibility gives me a lot of freedom. Instead of moving within a box, I just said, fine, I'm just going to create my own path, like completely outside the box, mm -hmm. in business and out. Um, I think a lot of people who are part of the norm, it, they have to work a little harder to get to that place of complete freedom that you have when you're on the margins. Right. So uh, I just feel like the time is so right for your brand. I think the customer is asking for this. Yes. You know, um, they don't want to be dictated to anymore. Yeah. Um, they're even just like in the simplest terms there, the consumer's view of what aspiration is has totally changed. Yes. Right? Like aspiration only used to be in our industry like, the tan lady on a yacht, right, in Capri, <laughs> yes. right? Like, there was really only one way to show it. Yes. Maybe her accessories would change, right? The car would change or the jet would change, but, like, you know, a jet or a boat. Yes. Um, and now um, aspiration means so many different things. Yeah. Um, so That's amazing. What has been the hardest thing, though, being someone who feels not represented in the business? What's been the biggest challenge in growing Sopwala? Not being taken seriously. Um, which I think may also just be my being a small woman in a business that's still very dominated by men. Mm -hmm. And when you say small woman, you mean like I'm not petite. tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like five feet when I'm on, like standing as tall. Are as you like wearing possible. heels? No. Oh. I did. I present yes. as taller. Seriously. Yeah. I, in my head, I'm like five foot eight. I feel like <laughs> everyone is my height, <laughs> and then I stand next to them. I'm like, you grew a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, I pr I project a taller person, but when I'm standing one on one with someone, you can really feel my <laughs> my height. Um, so I would say that like being. Um, not taken seriously or um, receiving very like patronizing responses mm -hmm. um, or just not even being invited to the table, the conference, the mm -hmm. speaking engagement, whatever it is. So this would be in talking with, what is this like talking with editors or talking with investors? Like wh where do you find this biggest challenge? So we haven't gone the investment route yet. So I haven't had any um, meetings with investors mm -hmm. or bankers or lenders. Um, We've been in the black since day one, which I'm really, really proud of. Mazel, that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it took a lot of work to, to keep it that way, but I really wanted 100% control of the business, and I wasn't willing to give that up because our priorities are very much governed by the principles that I created when I started the company. So obviously when we want to be profitable, I want to be able to provide um, lovely, um, place for my employees that's a secure mm -hmm. employment um, but safety efficacy purity all of that still is our number one right and um, all your 
products are made locally. Yes. Right? Locally yeah. in New York City, locally. Yeah. Um, our deodorant, we're getting help with now, and so that's going to be uh, Connecticut. We can't keep up, mm. which is a great problem to have, um, which is a whole different like can of worms of like finding someone who can help you co-manufacture who does things the way you want them to. Right, that shares the same values as you. Yes. Right? It's probably easy to find a factory. But. Yes, yeah. And I really, I wanted people who are hands-on. I wanted people who would let me be in the space. Mm -hmm. All of that is a whole, <laughs> that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but um, I apologize. I forgot what the, what your question was when I started. Well, we were one. talking about, well, we started, first you told me that you're actually not tall, which I didn't know. <laughs> um, but I was asking how this, this feeling of not being taken seriously, what, what aspects of the business are, is it most challenging to deal with that? I feel it um, on the editorial side a little mm -hmm. bit and also um, I would say more like panels or talks where I feel like we'd be a good fit and I know that the people who are running the program know of us and right. we've had conversations and I think it's just like they don't even see me as part of that conversation. Right. Well, um, my guess is the thought leadership opportunities you want are with people who actually see it. Yes. Right? I agree. Um, and we can talk offline about what those would be because I want you to get those as well. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about something that I was not expecting to talk about until we had our first chat. How is soap a, a public health issue? So skin care is, skin health is public health, which is why I'm so adamant about us being a brand for everybody. And that um, plays out in a couple ways. We don't use human models. I don't want to show you who I think my customer is. You are my customer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not gonna put any images in your head. If you see any people on our Instagram feed, it's likely me because I'm the only model that we'll use. Mm -hmm. Or it's another customer who posted something that we regrammed. Mm -hmm. um, your skin is sort of like your canary in the coal mine. Like if you have systemic issues going on, often it will play a role in your skin in, in some way. And you need that support. You need good, clean, healthy skincare that makes you feel good about yourself and good in your body while you're using it. That will just impact all other parts of your life, your mental health, your physical health, um, how you walk through the world. Mm -hmm. And people who are marginalized often don't feel that in the commercial skincare world. I certainly didn't mm -hmm. before I really made it. Um, there were certain stores that there was not enough money to make me have to go into. I just felt so incredibly unwelcome and that it was not the right fit. Um, so, and I was really desperate when I started making skincare. I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but I was really in a health crisis and I realized I needed to. What was the health crisis? The lupus diagnosis. Oh, mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. took about a year and a half to be diagnosed, which shockingly is actually a small, smaller amount mm -hmm. of time. Um, I think the average is like three years to get a, an accurate diagnosis. Wow. So I had a lot of stuff going on internally. I do have um, internal organ involvement, but nearly everyone with lupus has skin issues because it's an autoimmune illness, meaning that your, your cells get confused and they start attacking your own cells, mm -hmm. thinking that they're foreign bodies. And your skin is a very fast turnover cell. So a lot of people have pretty intense skin issues, and I was one of those people, like head to toe. So 
out of desperation, I started making these products. And as I really delved into this, I mentioned earlier I'm a perfectionist, so of course, like, feet first, I dove into this. I taught myself basic chemistry, formulation, herbology, aromatherapy. I read old wives' tales, which have a ton of information about um, the myriad ways that native plants have been used for centuries. And I really started understanding the link between skin health and other kinds of health that we pay mm -hmm. perhaps more attention to. So does taking care of your skin help your, in, in this way help the lupus? Or oh, yeah. it's just, is it treat, we're treating a um, symptom? Like what, what, how does it impact your well-being overall? A little bit of both. Mm -hmm. When my skin feels good, I feel good. Mm -hmm. And when I feel good, the lupus is less likely to flare, which is exactly what I'm, um, that's actually the perfect way to sort of encapsulate what I mean by skin health mm -hmm. is public health. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you feel good, it's such, it's like unquantifiable how that impacts every other part of you. Right. When you are actually feeling good, then it's, um, the, the lupus is not ignited, right? Like when you're starting to feel bad, yeah. it could be emotionally, it could be anything. It exactly. ignites the lupus it's, symptoms. It's more likely mm -hmm. to. Stress is definitely a trigger for... Mm -hmm. For me, I mean, there are other things that are out of my control um, for flares, but right. everything that I can control, I absolutely yeah. do. So, what what is um, how does lupus affect you every day, other than your skin? Um, I really try not to allow it to. Uh huh. So, what I do is make sure I listen to myself. If I start to feel a little rundown, um, as much as I hate saying no to things, I have to start saying no to things. Um, other non-negotiables for me are that boxing and yoga that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Like I have to, my body is a physical body. Like I have to move. And more than that, I have to get out of my head. And both of those particular activities for me do that. Um, I like to be really creative. So I have you know, different creative outlets that I do. I play violin, I garden, I um, become like a crazy mixologist with the <laughs> skincare. Uh, I'm constantly exploring new formulations and, and um, combinations of ingredients to see how they work. So all of that sort of feeds into um, a sense of well-being that makes me feel good and normal. Right. So what I'm seeing is a thread between all the things we talked about, um, this idea of you to feel whole, you have to work hard at it, right? You had to do that with music, right? You, yes. If you, it fulfilled you in such a way that you wanted to, but you had to work hard at it, yes. right? Which meant you weren't waking up at 10 o'clock in the morning and just playing and then, you know, going out with your friends at night, right? You were, like, really <laughs> working hard at it. Um, and to just feel whole and healthy, you have to work hard at it. Yes. And I mentioned that because um, I think... Some people, when they get down in the dumps, they're getting down in the dumps because things aren't happening easily. Yes. But yes, yes, yes. we all have to work at happiness. I'm so glad you said that. I think there is such a fantasy about, like, good things in life come easily, and, like, if you have to work for it, maybe it's not the right fit. I uh, No. The good things in life you have to work really, really hard for. Mm -hmm. And the piece of advice, like, I always get asked... Um, from people like, you know, what would you tell the next wave of, of women coming up who want to start their own business? And I always say the same thing. Put your head down and do the work. It's like the least sexy piece of advice you'll get, but it's, it's accurate. Try to drown out all that noise and focus on what you want to achieve because you can control that. That's right. I, I think that there was a turning point for me 
because I, I, I don't know, maybe the movies or TV put this notion in my head that like, you know, magically the success is going to happen. Yes. And while I see it happening for other people, it's not happening for me, feel down in the dumps, feel, you know, all these feelings of compare and despair, like all this stuff. Yeah. And um, when I just accepted that I have to just keep moving forward yeah. and that I'll find the path, even though I don't really even know what road I'm on. Once I accepted that, everything became much more joyful. Yes easier, more fun, yeah. and it worked. Exactly. Like there, I saw the payoff that I was always desperate for. Yeah. I mean, there's really no such thing as an overnight success. If you look at those stories, you're like, but they've been working their butts off for 12 years right. before they got, quote, discovered. That's right. You know, it's, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that go into these stories that we get presented with of, like, I just woke up. And everything fell into place. That's right. And even the people who make it seem like everything is easy, it's really not. They're just hustling so hard and they're so good at it that it, they make it look easy. Yes. But that's because they become accustomed to it. Yes. Um, when I have these like low moments, I think of George Clooney. He's my example for this because like it was many years of being just you know maybe a working and non-working actor before ER happened. Yes. You know like there was Facts of Life for a, I think it was Facts of Life. He was on for a little while. Oh, but you know like funny. a lot a lot of years of being not George Clooney the way that we know him. Yes. Right. And maybe he wasn't even like forty something until this happened. Yeah. Um, so uh, the. Everything we have to work hard for, and I see this thread in everything that you're talking about today. Oh yeah, I'm I'm a firm believer in working really hard. Plus, it feels better when you when you achieve that goal. You know, like the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it, mm -hmm. and it feels just it feels really good. Yeah, there's a ton of dignity in realizing that like I made something happen. Yes, like there's a lot of pridefulness that um, I think is really healthy. Like. You know, I put, I just put my foot forward every single day, didn't know what was going to happen. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a concept that like, you have to know what the end point is mm -hmm. before you start, which is just never the case. You'll never really know because things happen, life changes, you make discoveries along the way. So you don't have to know everything to start, but you do have to start. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is so helpful for me today. I needed to hear this. Oh, good. Um, okay. So we're, I'm going to shift gears with our last section of questions and we're going to focus on deodorant. Okay. So um, when I first met your brand, I think I, I don't know if it was in a gift bag or, you know, I was like at an event and I received a Sopoala deodorant and it's in a little pot. Yes. And it's not like a roll-on nope. or a rub-on <laughs> or I don't even know what we call them, roll-ons? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Stick. Sticks, right, right. So like I grew up with a stick and then I moved to a roll-on as a, I don't know, a teenager and it's a pot and I'm supposed to dip my hands into it and rub this, massage this into my armpits. And yes. it felt so strange, so I never did it. And you told me that you're gonna tell me why I, I do need this. Yes. So tell, um, I want you to tell me why this is fantastic. Okay. And then why using it the way that you suggests is fantastic. Okay. So the ingredients that we use are nearly all edible, really aside from the essential oils. They're uh -huh. all food grade. So the powders and clays are naturally um, going to help absorb. It's not an antiperspirant. So it won't stop you from sweating, right. which I personally think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Sweating means your body is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. Um, right. It's called homeostasis. It keeps you from, you know, burning up. 
Um, the essential oils in there are naturally antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal, so they stop any bacteria from forming, which is generally what causes that odor. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, first, first I think they smell really good right. just it's, on their own. Yeah, I just um, opened the citrus one. Yeah, that great. one smells delicious. Um, but at the end of the day, not only do you not smell badly, but you also don't even really smell like the deodorant because the essential oils have neutralized themselves throughout the day. So it's really, you put it on and then you don't think about it for the rest of the day. And I'm such a believer of the pot because one of my personal pet peeves is um, first, way too much packaging. Mm -hmm. And also when I can see like there's a quarter of the product left and I can't get to it, like that really does kind of make me crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I, can, I can't get to it. Like, do I take a hacksaw to this? Like, how do I, how do I actually get the rest of the product I paid for? So you get 100% out of this pot. Right. It's super easy to travel with. It's a solid, so it's not even considered one of your like little um, wet oh, uh, products uh -huh. for traveling. Um, because it's 100% natural, you can put it wherever you want additional coverage. Um, we have professional athletes who put it on the bottom of their feet if they get very sweaty, stinky feet. We have a couple politicians who use it on their hands if they're like shaking hands with 200 people in a 30-minute period. Um, but can, how does that help? Because it's not stopping me from sweating. So how does that help this, the palms? My guess is for the palm, it also helps pr provide a little bit of a barrier. Oh, uh-huh. So that your skin doesn't just become raw. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. um, but also if you get sweaty hands when you get nervous, it will absorb some of that. Oh, okay. So it won't stop it completely, mm -hmm. but you won't be, you know, drippy. Drippy McGee. Right. Jeffrey McGee for governor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, what does the deodorant not have in it that I'm used to using? If you use a commercial antiperspirant, it won't have any of the aluminum compounds that are often in there. Um, the aluminum compounds are what stop you from sweating. They cause your skin cells to swell. They swell shut. That's why the uh, sweat doesn't escape. But you're going to sweat more elsewhere. Because your body is going to, your bodies are amazing. They will always compensate. They're working for you the entire time. So if there's a system that's getting thwarted in one place, it's just going to compensate elsewhere. Right. And is this your best-selling product? It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is this the first product that you created? No. Um, the first two products I created, my, when my skin was at its worst, I couldn't even use water on it. It was just so inflamed and painful. So I made a cleanser, which mm -hmm. is our lavender French clay soap bar, which is still for sale, and a moisturizer, which is our restorative face serum. Those were the first two products. I figured I needed to cleanse and moisturize, and then I could figure everything else mm -hmm. out later. And yeah, they're still, and those two are um, two of our best-selling products. As oh, well. that's cool. Well, I'm so glad that we sat down together today. Me too. This was great. I'm the glad that you're feeling by. better. Thank you. Um, I'm so grateful for the point of view that you bring to the show. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this interview with Rachel. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.